Please open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 50. And we're going to be focused on, on verses 19 through 20, but actually ranging throughout Genesis. Um, and so if you want to follow along on the screen and have your Bible, that would be advisable. Also, um, I wanted to let you know that some of the things in this sermon could be triggering for you if you have experiences of trauma uh, and suffering. Um, I know that for a lot, just knowing that ahead is what you need to know. And for others, you need to uh, bow out of this one. I totally understand. Um, let's pray before we begin. Father God, I, I pray that your word would speak to us now, that you would help us with one of our greatest problems. Um, I pray that our hope in you would be increased after we hear from your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Some years ago, back, at, back in Nashville, there was a woman at our church who went upstairs to wake up her husband because he was sleeping late. And she got into the room and there was something odd about how he was lying there. She ran over to him and saw almost immediately he did not look right and he wasn't breathing. Now, she happened to be a doctor, checked his pulse and didn't find one. She spent nearly an hour trying to revive him through, through CPR. It was an awful traumatic experience, but he, he, had, he had died of a massive heart attack in his sleep, leaving behind her and her two young children. And uh, the church stepped up to be there for her. And uh, we all kind of took it in turns to, to go help with the kids and, and, and talk with her. Just, it was very hard for her to be alone. She was, she was really emotionally devastated, as, as one might expect. And so when I was there, walking in that door, I wasn't quite sure how to be there. I wasn't quite sure what I would say if she asked me, hey, why, why do you think God let this happen? And I know for many of us, you've been in her shoes or in the shoes of the person who's being asked, why does God allow suffering and evil and tragedy to happen? And you wonder how to answer. This is an essential question. Not only because we are all going to go through tragedy and suffering, but also you're going to walk with people through it. And this is something we must be discipled in because God's word does speak powerfully to it. Now, answering this essential question, if God is good and God is in control, then why is there evil and suffering? It, it really needs two facets to it. Because, uh, first of all, it has to make sense, right? It, it does us no good to, t to talk nonsense and non-reality. And also, it can't just be an intellectual thing. A lot of the time people talk about these things as if this is just an interesting intellectual question. Never do that. Because these, this is people's lives. This is a place where people need real comfort and guidance. They need something to live to. And so any answer we come up with, it has to make sense, but we also have to be able to live to it. You have to be able to say it to that grieving widow 
as an answer to help her walk through it, you see? Because there's bad answers out there, real bad ones. Some of them come from our fellow Christian brothers and sisters. Like, uh, oh, the reason that you're experiencing tragedy or your husband died or, or whatever is because God, you have lost the favor of God. That God is against you or God is punishing you. For example, after the Haiti earthquake that happened about 12 years ago, um, it was devastating. It was awful. Many people died. Pat Robertson, the uh, 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 popular host of the 700 Club, uh, got on the air and said, hey, the, you know, the reason that this earthquake happened, the reason this tragedy and death and, 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 and suffering is happening is because these Haitians 100 years ago, uh, actually 140 years ago, uh, took a voodoo pact, which they did. It's true. Uh, and now, now God's against them. He's punishing for that. Never mind that, you know, now it, it, Haiti is one of the most vibrant, has one of the most vibrant Christian churches in it, right? Like, and even after the, the earthquake, they were crying out to God and, and, and help each other. Um, try that one on the grieving widow. It's not going to help her walk through it, is it? Not only that, it's a lie. It's just biblically nonsense. The book of Job, for instance, you know what the whole point of Job is? Job suffers, and it's not because he did anything wrong. His, his three and then four friends sit there saying, Job, you did something wrong, and God is punishing you. That's what they say for like 25 chapters. And Job is sitting there saying, I didn't. And then God comes along and says, he didn't. He's not suffering because I'm against him. He's not suffering because he lost my favor. So biblically speaking, this idea, God is against you if you're suffering, is not only unhelpful, it is untrue. There's another answer that comes from the faith community that God isn't in control, right? And so they try and resolve this. If God is good and in control, why is there evil and suffering? Well, he's good, but he's not in control. This is a point of view made famous um, by a, a writer named Rabbi, Rabbi Kushner, he wrote a famous book called Why Do Bad Things Happen to Good People? And that's, that's his thesis. God would like to stop evil, suffering, and tragedy. He's doing his best, but he's failing. He's not in control. Again, biblical nonsense. This is the God who created the universe. Okay, um, The idea that God is somehow incapable is, again, it doesn't make any sense. Not only that... Try saying that to the widow. Well, God's really sorry. Couldn't help it. You're really on your own because your God's of no use. It's not going to help anybody walk through tragedy and suffering, is it? Another point of view that, is, that has become more popular these days is, the, is, yeah, God is capable, but he doesn't care. God is completely indifferent. He's got like bigger things to do. Um, or, you know, uh, the most popular articulation of this right now is the universe. You know, well, the universe, uh, we've, we've kind of transformed our language about God to be just kind of everything and everything just doesn't care. Okay. It's powerful. It's there, but doesn't care. Again, not helping anybody. And uh, also just 
biblically speaking, it's not true. When we see Jesus at the tomb of Lazarus, what does he do? He weeps. God cares very deeply about, uh, about our suffering, about tragedy. Another uh, bad answer to this comes not from the Christian faith community, but from the Eastern faith community. Um, it's that suffering is an illusion, that suffering and tragedy and evil and all that, it's simply an illusion that we've bought into. And you can hear this from the likes of uh, Eckhart Tolle, for instance, one of Oprah's guys, you know, um, who, who believes that reality, as we know it, is an illusion. He even says in, in, in one of his writings that, that, you know, hey, you know, the reason that you're suffering, that, that he uses the example of a woman being raped, is she shouldn't mind because this is illusory. Now, I hope we don't agree with that. It doesn't really make any sense. And also, try saying that to the widow. To saying to her, your, your suffering is an illusion? Is that helping her walk through it? No, it isn't. And then the, you know, one of the most prominent answers to this question and the people who, who bring it up a lot are, is the atheistic answer that God isn't real. Well, you know, this whole, they, they look at it like they, they usually approach this from a purely intellectual point of view and they say these sorts of things as sort of a smoke bomb to not believe in God. Oh, you believe in God, this and that. Well, suffering, I'm out, <laughs> you know? And, and the atheist evangelists like Richard Dawkins or Sam Harris or, or whomever, there's no shortage of them. I'm sure you can name a few. They, they, they simply say, well, the reason that there's suffering and tragedy in the world is because the actual nature of the world is that there is no God. We are an accident. It is random. It is purposeless. And the reality we experience of suffering and evil and tragedy is just the way it is. Now, hopefully you already realize that saying that to someone who is going through tragedy does not help them walk through it. Um, in any way. But it, it might seem to some of us that that makes good sense, that it's sort of like, you know, sort of merciless truth, like the cold, hard truth that's terrible to admit, but is undeniable. I don't see it. Though. I don't see it that way at all. Because here's the thing. If the actual nature of the universe is a horror show, right, it's just this purposeless, accidental, meaningless thing. Why is it that human beings look at this world and say, this is all wrong. <laughs> this isn't how it's supposed to be. Why don't we accept the tragedy, evil and suffering as just, yeah, of course, you know, like are, are, are is any other creature sitting there having an ex existential crisis over, over tragedy and suffering, right? Is the, is a, is a rabbit out there like, oh, why is the world this way? No, I mean, there's something else going on. Here's another thing. When we talk about there being a right and a wrong, like an evil, why does evil happen? The existence of evil? Well, those are moral categories and morals are all about should. 
this is the way it should be or it shouldn't be this way. You should do that. You shouldn't do this. Make sense? In an accidental, purposeless universe, there is no should. You can't even ask the question of why there is such a thing as evil. It's a category without meaning in an atheistic way of looking at the world. So what at first seems to be hard rationalism is actually not all that rational. How does God's word answer this essential question of if God is good and God is in control, why is there tragedy and suffering? Well, it's going to be in three parts. And the first part of that is that the world is not as it should be. The world is not as it should be. When we look back, Remember, we're in a series in Genesis, and that's our main text for today, is the very end of Genesis. But to understand this end text, I've got to go back to the beginning. You see, humans were meant for a blessed life. Look with me at Genesis chapter 1, 27 through 28. It says, So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Now, some of us, we hear that rule over and subdue as like destroy. <laughs> of course, only fallen human beings would hear rule and subdue as destroy. Really, that means do what God would do in ruling and subduing, and that is help to flourish, serve. So this original vision for humanity as being made male and female in God's image of bearing blessing with them, filling up the creation with God's image and God's blessing and being in harmony with it. Like that, that's a, that sounds like a pretty amazing world, doesn't it? Living in right relationship with, with nature and each other and, 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 and representing God on earth, that's a blessed life. That's what it was supposed to be, not death, not tragedy, not genocide, not war, not racism and oppression. But not only that, the world was meant for harmony. Genesis 1.31 says, And God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. The world as it was meant to be is not a place that is full of tragedy and grief. It was very good, but something happened. Our first parents rebelled against God and shattered that harmony. What the Bible calls shalom, what we translate as peace. That's what was meant to be as peace. But what sin does is it breaks that peace. And we, we hear the consequences in Genesis chapter 3 that God says in Genesis 3, 17 through 19 to Adam, he said, because you listened to your wife and ate fruit from the tree, which I commanded you, you must not eat it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you and you will eat the plants of the field. So instead of harmony and blessing and right relationship, now there is 
difficulty, strife, antagonism. And lastly, he says, by the sweat of the brow, sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken. For dust you are, and to dust you will return. So this strife, this the, the, this this scrapping to survive that we all know, death itself was never supposed to be. It was not part of God's created order. Blessing was. This is not the way the world is supposed to be. When, when we sometimes ask this question, well, where did evil come from? If you answer that in any sane way, it's insane. It's not supposed to be. It's like when Sharon and I, one time we were in Prague together. It was, it was a great, great trip. And, um, and we went to a performance of Vivaldi's Four Seasons. Um, I'm not a classical music guy, but going to this concert at this place called Tin Cathedral, it was in a chapel in there, and it was this beautiful chapel, and, and the, this Czech uh, chamber ensemble was just playing this beautiful music in this beautiful chapel. I'm looking over at Sharon going, beautiful. Right? I'm having the time. It is this sublime moment of harmony. And it's one of the most enjoyable evenings I could imagine. But then, someone's cell phone rings. Bad form. I was ready to forgive it and just move on, keep listening. But instead of silencing his phone, this big doofy check dude takes it out and answers it. This is a small room, 100 people maybe. And he just starts talking. I don't speak Czech, obviously. Right? And, and he just keeps going. It completely shatters the, the, the mood that was created by these wonderful musicians in this beautiful place. Just that one thing breaks that harmony. You might say, well, hey, well, why'd they do that? Why'd the chamber orchestra? No, they didn't do that. That wasn't supposed to be part of it. It was supposed to be what I was experiencing. That phone call is an alien intruder that isn't supposed to be. The world is not the way it's supposed to be. Our first part of the answer to why, if God is good and in control, why is there evil and suffering? Is that the world isn't as it should be. The reason that we both recognize that there is tragedy and evil and that, that, that it's, it, and that we all have a sense this isn't the way it's supposed to be is because that, that sense is correct. There shouldn't be death. There shouldn't be cancer. There shouldn't be war. This is not the life we were meant for. A lot of the time, people try and comfort themselves or others with sort of like a, sort of this cold rationality of, well, you know, biological processes and a bio part one biological process of every creature is death and sort of taking this, the world is as it should be and what's happening it's just natural. It just happens. Another way that sounds is, you know, it's somehow more godly to like get over it. Say, well, the Lord took him and we should be at peace with that. 
But if the world isn't as it should be, you know what that means? It means that the most sane response to tragedy, to death, to suffering is grief. Is the feeling this just isn't right. That's the way we should feel. So many other answers try and take away permission to grieve and be in pain. Whether it's Eckhart Tolle saying the woman being raped shouldn't mind. Whether it's the atheist evangelist saying death is part of life. Whether it's the, I don't know what to call it, Christian fatalism or something like that. That, you know, yeah, God takes people's lives and we should just all chill and be good with it. Instead, it's saying death was never supposed to be. Suffering was never supposed to be. The world is not as it should be. To the widow, you say, it is right to grieve. This is, this is painful. This is not supposed to be. Another, um, another critical part of, of answering this question of why is, and this is going to get clearer. It might sound confusing right now. It's very important to say, why this is not happening or why it isn't happening. I'll explain what I mean. Um, there's an old children's book, Llama Llama Red Pajama, that I, I've been reading to my kids for a long time. It's a great book. And um, it, Mama Llama is putting her baby llama to bed and tucks him in and all that, says goodnight. And baby llama is sitting there in the dark. He's getting kind of bored. And so he's feeling kind of lonely, calls out for his mama. She doesn't come. So he's just sitting there and calls again, ma. And you know, his mom is down in the kitchen cleaning things up or answering the phone or whatever, doesn't hear him. And he sits there in the dark. All he knows is that his mom's not coming when he calls her. And he starts saying, why? Why isn't she coming? What is she doing? And then he says, maybe she's not coming because she's gone. And he flips out because he, he feels like he's alone in the house and he screams for her. And of course she comes running and so on and so forth. But when, when we don't have a why, we can start filling in our own whys. Why am I suffering? And we don't get an answer. And so we say, well, it's because God's against me. It's because God can't help it. It's because God doesn't care or isn't there. You know what we need to hear? While, while someone is going through that grief, while someone is struggling through suffering and tragedy, they need to hear why it's not happening. They need to hear that God is still in control. It isn't happening because God is overpowered or surprised. When we look back at the book of Genesis, you know, Genesis chapter six through nine, this is the flood coming after creation. A God with this kind of power is not overpowered. He is not surprised. So this idea that God couldn't help it or, or you know, his hands are tied. Nonsense. That's not why it's happening. It isn't because the world has spun out of God's control. 
also, we need to hear that God is not against us. A lot of the time, that is where we go. God must be against me. I must have lost God's favor. Look with me real quick at, at Genesis chapter 39, verse 2. We remember the story of Joseph. We've been in it for a while now. And Joseph, if we remember, his brothers carried out intended murder, leaving him in a ditch to die. But fished him out when they saw they could make a little cash, sold him into slavery. So Joseph was first went through the trauma of intended murder by his own brothers. Second, was sold into slavery. And third, went from slavery to prison. Listen to Genesis 29, or 39.2. It says, The Lord was with Joseph so that he prospered, and he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. It says the Lord was with Joseph on several occasions when Joseph is at rock bottom. Anybody else from, uh, you know, like might look at Joseph's circumstances and say, surely God's forgotten him. Surely God is not on his side. He must have turned against him. But what does the scripture tell us? No, God is with him in this tragic suffering that he's going through. God is with him. Why is he going through it? It isn't because God left him. It isn't because God lost control. And we need to hear that. You know why? We need, while we go through this or walk with people through it, we need to be able to give the counsel of grieve. Absolutely. Feel the pain that comes with the brokenness of the world. But we cannot fill in whys that aren't true. That does not help. It does not help for us to sit there saying, well, God must be against me or God lost control or God isn't real. And I've heard horror stories about this. I've heard horror stories when, when people have a tragedy happen and they are counseled by other Christians. It's your lack of faith that lost you God's favor and that's why your child died. It's something that you did sinful that uh, turned God against you. I have uh, said before, and I'll say again, that this, this prosperity gospel, this idea that if you have enough faith, you'll always have enough money and health, it, it is from hell. It is so anti-biblical. To say that if you, if God loves you, nothing bad can happen. It's, it's biblical nonsense. Look at, look at uh, David. Suffered greatly. God loved him. God was with him. Hagar, God was with her. She suffered. Paul suffered hugely. God loved him. Ezekiel, Jeremiah, Stephen. For goodness sake, this was a guy who, was, who had incredible faith. How did it go for him? He died a martyr. Jesus, I might remind you, God loved, was perfectly righteous, and suffered greatly. Whatever the reasons why that we can't know, there are, there are reasons of not why. And it isn't because God lost control. It isn't because God turned against us. 
But it still leaves us with this dilemma. How is this dilemma resolved between God's goodness and the reality of evil and suffering? Look with me at Genesis chapter 50, verses 19 through 20. It says, But Joseph said to them, Don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? Now what's happening here is his brothers, who had committed that horrible act against him, for some years they've been reconciled, and now that their father has died, they fear that Joseph is going to take his revenge. And so they come before him with a supposed message from their father that, you know, hey, forgive your brothers. And they grovel, saying, just make us slaves, just don't kill us. Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? Listen now. You intended evil to me, but God intended for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So, first of all, the brothers aren't excused. What they did was real evil. What Joseph went through was real suffering, tragedy, and evil. But we also see that God used the brothers' evil to accomplish a greater good. It is the very means by which God got Joseph to Egypt in position to save that entire region from famine. God was able to bring good from evil. Doesn't make it less evil. Doesn't excuse them. Doesn't mean Joseph didn't go through real tragedy. But God brought a greater good from it. This particular speech, the very last chapter of Genesis... Why is it at the end? Because it's key to the entire theology of Genesis. It's the capstone of Genesis, Joseph's words at the end here. What else do we see in Genesis except God working good from the evil of our first parents? What else is the Bible except the continuation of that plan? Uh, can we think of another place we see God using evil for good? Oh yeah, Jesus. The worst act ever committed, the crucifixion of our righteous God by his own creatures. That worst act of evil has brought the greatest possible blessing on humanity, on the very group responsible for carrying it out, and on creation itself. God will use evil for ultimate good. That is how we resolve this question of why, how can we believe there is a good God who's in control and there is such a thing as evil and suffering and tragedy. It's that God will use evil for ultimate good. An illustration I like of this that you guys have heard and some of you may have not heard, so just listen, <laughs> is, is, uh, is the, this, this famous fight that happened between George Foreman and Muhammad Ali back in in late 60s i believe it was called the rumble in the jungle and it was put on in zaire uh don king promoted it was a big big deal ali had lost his title because he refused to uh to be drafted to, to fight in the vietnam war and george foreman had taken his title in the meantime and this new fighter george foreman and this fighter george foreman who was an unbelievably strong and hard puncher <laughs> he was a great boxer and it was you know ali was a little older he wasn't as quick as he used to be so uh, a lot of people were predicting that foreman was going to destroy ali 
and 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 you know you could see this there's a hole in this movie they made um when we were kings rent it it's great um you can see the night of the fight it's it's in africa and it's hot and it's humid and and you could see the night air like shimmering with the heat and humidity and the fight starts and everyone expected ali to dance because foreman was the far bigger stronger fighter but ali had moves but ali doesn't move you know what he did he went to the ropes he leaned on the ropes leaned way back on the ropes covered and let Foreman hit him in the body, right? This, this guy who had like bone-breaking punches. He just let him hit him for round one, for round two, for round three, for round four. He just kept going back to the ropes, blocking what he could, avoiding what he could, but more or less letting Foreman simply pound away on his body. And he even egged him on. You could see this during the fight. He actually would, would tie Foreman up sometimes. And, and you know what he was saying to him? He would say, I heard you hit hard, George. Come on, I'm disappointed. Try to get him to hit him harder. It went on like that, round after round after round. And then in like the 10th round, I believe, 9th or 10th, you could see that heat and humidity taking its toll on the large, strong, heavy foreman who's, who's been getting a workout, punching Ali. But he can barely lift his hands anymore. He could barely get his hands to make contact with Ali's body. And when Ali sensed that, he sprung off the ropes, he hit him with one lightning fast combo and Foreman was done, knocked out. Ali called it the rope-a-dope. What he did is he said, okay, Foreman's gonna try and destroy me. I'm gonna let him try and destroy me. And he used Foreman's intentions of evil to accomplish his own plan, you see? He just incorporated it right into his victory. That is something like what God will do with evil, suffering, and tragedy. He's going to incorporate it into his plan for ultimate good. What that means is for the grieving widow, you may not know exactly how God is going to use this for ultimate good, you can trust that he will. That, that, that what happened to her husband, to her, to her children, that this tragedy, this evil, this suffering will be part of God's plan of redemption to bring it about that a greater blessing comes. God is able to raise the dead. He's able to undo death. We saw that with Jesus. God is able to heal the body, the soul, and the mind. God is the one who can make good, and that's what all other answers lack. They can attempt to explain it, to even have the hard rationalist pose that really what you need to do is be a grown-up and accept that there is no God and just tragedy is the way the world is. They have no hope. There is no one that will make good on, on any sort of promise that, that suffering, evil, and tragedy will be resolved. This belongs to the Christian faith alone. This belongs to Christ alone. What this isn't is a reason to get over it and feel better. Well, this is going to be for ultimate good, so start feeling better. No, you got to have the first two parts of the answer too.
The world isn't supposed to be this way. But God is still in control, even of a world that isn't supposed to be this way. And he's going to use this evil for ultimate good. It isn't a reason to get over it right now. It isn't a pill you take to make the pain go away. You know what it is? It's a candle in the darkness that lets us get through the darkness. God will use evil for ultimate good. Please pray with me. God, we lay at your feet these heavy things that we know you grieve over. You grieve over death. You grieve over tragedy. You grieve over our suffering. You see it. You weep with us. Yet you are the one who is going to, who is going to make all of this broken and sad things come untrue. May it be so. In Jesus' name, amen.